The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to episode number 193 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. How would you like to save your client $70 million on one project? I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, I'll be talking with Stephen Long, Senior Engineer with Freeze and Nichols, who currently serves as the Program Manager for the North Texas Municipal Water District's Bodark Lake Program. Stephen will be discussing alternative delivery methods for the Bodark Lake Program and how one of them saved his client $70 million. The reason for this episode is because we try to ensure that we change up the topics on this podcast, and the overarching goal is that we want civil engineering professionals to be well-rounded. And I do feel like understanding some of the different delivery methods out there, like design build, like construction manager at risk, and others, are things that we're not really educated on. We usually kind of get thrown into projects like this, and I thought that this was a great opportunity to have someone like Steve, who's an expert, come in and talk about how these methods were used on one of the biggest restoration projects in the history of the United States. So I'm excited for this episode. Before we jump in with Steve, this is a free show. Our sponsors help keep it free. So now I'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, Collier's Engineering and Design. Collier's Engineering and Design is a multidiscipline engineering firm with over 1,800 employees in 63 offices nationwide and growing fast. Collier's Engineering and Design maintains an internal culture that is nurtured through the promotion of integrity, collaboration, and socialization. Their employees enjoy hybrid work environments, continuous career advancement, health and wellness offerings, and programs and projects that have a positive impact on society. Collier's Engineering and Design stays on the cutting edge of technology, and their entrepreneurial approach to expansion provides personal and professional development opportunities across the firm. Leadership's dedication to the well-being of their employees and their families is demonstrated throughout the wide range of benefits and programs available to them. For more information, visit the career page on their website at colliersengineering.com. That's colliers, C-O-L-L-I-E-R-S, engineering.com. I also want to mention quickly our Engineering Management Accelerator Core Skills Development Programs, and I'm mentioning them because recently we have a couple of podcast listeners that heard about our programs. We have our People Leadership Program, Level 1 and Level 2 courses for soon-to-be managers and experienced managers. We have our project management training, scope, schedule, budget. We also have our seller-doer or business development training courses. A couple of our podcast listeners heard about the courses. They contacted us through the website. We sent them the curriculum. They brought it to their companies, and their companies ended up purchasing a large number of seats in the programs. They're going to be able to go through these programs as well as their colleagues. So even if you may not be the one in charge of learning and development within your firm, we can provide you with some easy-to-read information that you can bring to your leadership and have them take a look at our programs. They're affordable, PDHs are offered, digital badges are offered, and you get the skills that you need to succeed and grow your firm in a profitable way. So for more information, just visit our website at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. You can click on the upcoming training button and look at the programs, or you can go right to the contact page and fill out the form, or just give us a call. 
800-920-4007. That's 800-920-4007. All right, let's dive into our civil engineering conversation of the week with Steve Long. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'd like to welcome our guest to the podcast today. Steve Long is a senior engineer with Freeze and Nichols. Steve, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you so much, Anthony, for having me. So, Steve, before we jump in today, I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, you know, what you're doing on a daily basis for Freeze and Nichols, and maybe just a little bit of a career background on you. So, I've been married 42 years. I have nine children and three grandchildren. Currently work for Freeze and Nichols. And uh, what I do is I'm a staff augmentee for the North Texas Municipal Water District as the program manager delivering the Bodark Lake program. Prior to me joining Freeze and Nichols, I spent 30 years with the water district in various positions. And then even before that, I spent five years in the Army early in my working career. For those not familiar with what a water district might do, could you explain what the responsibility of a water district is? In Texas, in response to the drought of the 50s, the state legislature recognized that there was a need for water to try to survive the, any future droughts. And so they created special districts. And uh, North Texas Municipal Water District was created by an act of the Texas legislature in 1951, and this will be significant, is they had 31,000 people to start off with. What the North Texas Municipal Water District does is they supply treated drinking water, they treat, collect and treat wastewater, and they provide solid waste services to about a 2,200 square mile service area in the North Texas area. Now, is a district like this public entity? Yes, we're a political subdivision of the state. We invited Steve on because he's working on a very interesting project. Steve, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the project, kind of give us a high-level overview. The Bodark Lake project, the district recognized that it needed a additional water supplies. Some of the fastest growing cities in the region and maybe even in the country are in a North Texas service area. And so in response to the growth, they embarked on building the Bodark Lake in Fannin County as part of that. So they have to build a dam. In order to build a dam, you have to have a federal 404 permit. In order to impound water and divert water, you have to have a state water rights permit. So North Texas embarked on that, started in about 2003, filed both permits in about 2008, in 2015, got the state water right. And then in February of 2018, got the uh, 404 permit. And after that, North Texas was free to construct the dam, but not only the dam. In order to move the water, it's about 40 miles away from the district service area. So in order to move that water, they had to build a raw water pump station, 35 miles of 90-inch diameter pipe, terminal storage reservoir, a 70 million gallon per day water treatment plant, and then 25 miles of 84-inch steel water pipe. Also, because of the area that was being flooded, North Texas had to build some roads and bridges. They had to increase one, extend one farm to market road about six miles with a 1.3 mile long bridge. And then also there were a number of 
Fannin County roads that needed to be raised above the 100-year water surface. So that's basically the program. For those of you listening and just thinking about projects and relative size, this is one of the largest environmental restoration efforts in the country, uh, the Bodark Project, and it was featured in the couple of different magazines, which is how I found Steve. So let's talk a little bit about the project, the process. Why did the North Texas Municipal Water District choose alternative delivery to deliver the mitigation project? Take us through their thought process there. That is a very interesting process and very interesting part of the project. When the district got the state water right, they anticipated that the 404 permit would follow soon thereafter. They didn't anticipate a two-year delay. And so what that meant was that if they wanted to start construction soon after receiving the permit, they were going to have to figure out a way to compress the schedule. Now, in 2011, the state legislature allowed districts like North Texas Water District to use alternate delivery to procure projects. And the reason why you would use an alternate delivery is there would be something about price or schedule or something about the complexity that would want you to use alternate delivery. A North Texas case, they would organize the delivery of the program using five construction managers at risk that would allow North Texas to pick the designers and manage the design while the construction manager at risk, the CMAR, if you will, while they would be able to start procuring long delivery items. They would be able to start work packages that would be basic and that the engineers could design quickly. That's why North Texas chose to use construction manager at risk to deliver those five projects. You talked about the four permit that they received. What was that restriction? They got the permit and then they, in order for them to be able to start faster, that's why the alternative delivery method was beneficial? Yes. So it was both schedule and price certainty, but also complexity. And if we look at the roads and bridges, or we look at the dam, or we look at the mitigation project, these are projects that are outside of North Texas core business. They are water transmission, water treatment, wastewater collection, wastewater treatment, solid waste disposal. So that's their core business. Uh, the mitigation project is outside their core business. The building a dam was not in their core business, as well as schedule. That's why they chose to use um, alternate delivery. From a schedule perspective, by using alternate delivery and get, having outside assistance, they can just work faster because there's more parties involved. Is that how it helps the schedule? So really, it helps the schedule because you engage the contractor earlier. You engage the construction manager early on in the process, about 30% design plans. And what that does is then the construction manager at risk figures out what packages can he bid earlier. And so we can have the long delivery, long lead time items already procured. I'll give you a really good example on that. One of the things on the pipelines was the steel pipe. The construction manager at risk was able to time the steel market. And what he did was he was able to take a 60% set of plans and bid that out and receive bids. And then what he was able to do was lock in the steel price for the owner, saving really ultimately millions of dollars. 
And I'm going to ask one more question here, Steve. I'm trying to think of questions that some of our listeners might have that aren't that familiar with these delivery processes. If they didn't go with an alternative delivery process, then the district would have to communicate directly with a contractor and then they would miss out on having the CM getting started. Is that where the the alternative delivery is beneficial there? Alternate delivery also is beneficial when if they had not been able to use alternative delivery, they would have had to have taken each project to the 100% level and then had a construction contractor basically do design, bid, build. And in that process, you have to wait for the design to be completely done before you bid the project. Then you'll have a construction contractor you won't have obtained the benefit of the construction manager doing constructability reviews, value engineering. There were many times when the construction manager at risk was able to say, this is fine. Can you modify the design in this way? And that would be a lot easier to construct and would save you money as well as improve the schedule. An alternate delivery method allows you to work on multiple phases of a project at the same time, whereas in the traditional delivery method, you may not be able to do that. You'd have to work on kind of one at a time, complete one, go to the next one. That's correct. It allows the design of certain items to continue while other items that don't have to be at 100% or can be taken to 100% very quickly, it allows those items to be procured while the design of the rest of the project is proceeding. The district initially procured a construction manager at risk, or CMAR, to deliver the mitigation project and then switched to a full-service provider contractor who specializes in the mitigation work. Explain to us why they took that approach. That's a very good question and really one of the bright stars of the Bodark Lake program. Construction manager at risk was very vital in determining what would be early work packages and how to set up the project. A mitigation project is replete with risk. So not only are there normal risks that you would encounter, uh, fire, flood, hail, things like that, with plantings and with live material, they are also subject to infestation. They're subject to disease. These other risks were difficult for a construction manager to understand. We were looking at pricing that risk, plus the construction manager at risk. We had asked them, will you provide a three-year warranty? Yes, but that would be it. And then North Texas Municipal Water District would have to take over the project at that time, as you would any project after the warranty is done, you would need to take over the project and operate it and maintain it. In the full service provider, the full service provider for the mitigation, what they do is they design the project, they will construct the project, they will operate, they will do any maintenance that they need to. And this actually happened. Let's say they're planting a forested wetland and they're planting hundreds of thousands of trees. And if there is a flood and wipes all of those out, the full service provider is totally at risk and has to redo all of that work because of, quote unquote, an act of God. The full service provider guarantees the performance at the end of the project time period 
the full service provider guarantees that it will meet the requirements that Army Corps of Engineers placed whenever they approved the mitigation plan in the 404 permit. They give that guarantee up to a certain time period? No. That's what is really exciting about this type of delivery method. If they achieve the growing period, we'll call it a growing period, they've designed it, they planted it, and they are taking care of maintaining the maintenance, the operation, if you will, is called growing season. And in those growing seasons, the full service provider is totally responsible to make sure that it achieves requirements that the core has set if it takes 15 years, if it takes 20 years, if it takes 25 years. So a full-service mitigation contractor is a full-service provider related to all things related to kind of mitigation work, wetlands, et cetera. That's correct. They took the mitigation plan They took many of the designs because we had a construction manager at risk. We had started down that path. The construction manager at risk and the uh, designers, Frieza Nichols, their environmental scientists, had designed certain portions of the mitigation property. Not completely. Some of it was 30%, some of 60%. And so the full service provider, they took all of that information. They brought in their own designers. And then they were able to determine, we want to build this project this way. We want to provide the 5,000 acres of forested wetlands in these locations. These have the right soil, the right hydrology, all of the right conditions. And we believe that this cover type, the forested wetland, the emergent wetlands, the shrub wetlands, the upland deciduous forest, we believe that it will not only survive, but thrive in this location. And this makes a lot of sense to me because wetland construction is obviously an area where you really need an expert to be able to cultivate wetlands the right way. So I would imagine that an owner wouldn't want to be involved in that or take on that kind of risk. So it seems like it makes sense. So talk to us about how that contract gets structured with the full service mitigation contractor. This is a -a one-of-a-kind mitigation project. This is a one of the largest permittee responsible mitigation projects in the country. And with that, it had to have its own unique contract. North Texas was not able to make a standard construction contract fit. And so what was specified is the full service provider takes the risk The full service provider has to deliver the mitigation plan. The full service provider then also has milestone payments. When the full service provider is mobilized, they get 5% of the contract. When they develop their 60% plans and start construction, they get another 5%. When they finish construction, they get 50%. So when they're finished construction and they're just about finished construction, they will have achieved about 60% of the contract. Then for growing season payments, depending upon whether it's an emergent wetlands, forested wetlands, upland deciduous forest, the streams where uh, North Texas is having to restore about 70 miles of streams. And so as the performance improves on each one of those cover types, an example, emergent wetlands, Before they can get paid a three-year, they get paid a three-year and a five-year growing season payment. So they have to have 
10 wetland species, they have to have 70% coverage. And so you can see it's based on actual measurable criteria. What was really interesting is now that we're moving out of construction, the uh, full service mitigation provider, bonding companies, North Texas Water District has to have a payment and performance bond for the work that is remaining. Normally on a design bid build project, I want to build this treatment facility. It costs $60 million. The design bid build contractor, they provide bonds and insurance, payment and performance bond and insurance for the duration of that contract. And it ends at the end of the contract. In this full service mitigation provider, the bonding companies would not go beyond construction. So we had to structure the contract as when construction is complete, and then for every year afterwards, the full service mitigation provider has to renew their payment and performance bond and their insurance. And that is a unique one-of-a-kind type stipulation until the mitigation project achieves the requirements of the mitigation plan. Interesting. And how was the full service contractor procured? We used what was called competitive sealed proposal. The Texas government code allows special districts like North Texas Water District to procure to use things other than price to determine the best value. One of those is a method is design build. Another method is construction manager at risk, construction manager agent. The way that we determined that was best suited for the full service provider was to use competitive seal proposal where the contractors, the full service providers would submit their qualifications, their project approach, their schedule, their key personnel, and the price. And all of those, there was a, a certain criteria for each of those items, a criterion for each of those items, a certain percentage, a certain weighting, if you will. And that weight then determined the final score and then who represented the best value to North Texas. So in other words, they weight everything, including the price, but that's not the only thing they consider. So they have, it's kind of like a calculation among all the different aspects of their package. That is correct. If they have experience, let's say uh, experience with similar projects is worth 20 points and they have done 15 projects close to the size, well, then they might get 13 or 14 points. If they're relatively new, the full service providers relatively new, maybe their largest project is only 5,000 acres. Well, maybe they're scored at nine or 10 points. And is there a point associated with the fee? With their cost? Yep. Yes. If I remember right, it was about 50%. I may not be exactly correct on that, but yes, there was a percentage for their cost. That's a direct calculation. The lowest price gets the most points allowed. I mean, obviously, it sounds like this delivery, you know, going with the full service provider is very valuable when it's something that's this specific that requires this much expertise. However, I would imagine that the fees for this work then is higher because they're going to put some of that contingency into their fee, correct? The CMAR was estimating this cost to be over $200 million. Went with the full service provider. Our final contract is about $136 million. Probably we saved 
the district about $80 million by going this route. And the full service provider takes all of the risk and North Texas doesn't have to operate or maintain or try to perform replantings or any of that stuff. Wow. So it really is a big win for the district. That's great. Why is the mitigation project here so large? It's like 17,000 acres. Early on, the reservoir itself is going to inundate 16,641 acres. And what was once the North Texas Water District filed a permit application, then the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers started doing their work that they need to do to prepare an environmental impact statement. One of the items was to determine not the amount and the quality of the habitat that was there. And as it turned out, ultimately, through several iterations with both the Army Corps and the U.S. EPA, it was determined that 17,000 acres was needed. Let's talk about civil engineering a little bit here. Obviously, you're a civil engineer. Why is a civil engineer involved in a mitigation project like this? Yes, you would think that an environmental scientist would be the one to manage a project like this. But mitigation projects, basically, when you construct wetlands, when you construct streams, that is an earthwork project. Now, the plantings, you have to engage your environmental scientists to do that. And North Texas relies heavily on the environmental scientists with Friesen Nichols now that they're in the planting phases, now that they're in the growth phases. But to manage the project, you need to have an understanding of earthwork, of equipment, men, and material. And that's how a civil engineer basically was looking after a, a mitigation project. And there's a lot of project management, of course, involved. A lot of project management, cost, schedule, all of that. What are some of the lessons learned from such an unusual project that you found? One of the lessons was engage with the cultural resources early. And even if you have to be at risk a little bit, go ahead and allow them to get further ahead. Uh, the cultural resource investigations, if they can do what the phase they can do is they can do the survey phase and they can do the testing phase. But if there's any mitigation, that's what requires the archaeologist to go in there and excavate six inches at a time, one meter blocks. And so that takes a lot of time. For our listeners that aren't, haven't had any projects yet that involve cultural resources, can you describe what that means? Cultural resources, in order to have a, a 404 permit, in order to receive a 404 permit, you have to engage investigation of cultural resources in the area that is impacted, in the area of potential effect. Those requirements are spelled out in Section 106 of the National Historic Preservation Act. And what that required was North Texas, Caddo Nation, Army Corps of Engineers, and the Texas Historical Commission. Those four entities got together and executed what was called a programmatic agreement. And in that agreement, that specifies how the investigations are going to be done and then what subsequent agreements will be needed. Will there be a treatment plan for 
inadvertent discovery of human remains? Will there be a memorandum of agreement on how these artifacts will be treated, will be dealt with, how the investigations will be conducted? And I've had experiences on a couple of my projects. I think, for example, some of them were old Native American artifacts that were found in the ground and they had to be dealt with a certain way. So if you haven't dealt with this on a project, you know, Steve makes a good point that it's something you need to start on early. Any other lessons learned, Steve? The other one was we use a full service mitigation provider if your project is warrants it. The method that you would want to use would be to procure it using competitive seal proposal. The full service mitigation provider saved our client just a lot of money, and it really helped as far as the amount of risk that the water district had to take. So there you have it, a really interesting look at a very interesting project, the Bodar Lake Program had a lot of different components to it, but really one of the reasons that we wanted to have Steve on was to talk about these different delivery methods. I feel like as civil engineering professionals, we don't always get exposed to these different delivery methods and understanding them, I think can only make you much more valuable as an engineer in terms of being able to speak on these different topics with clients, with other consultants and agencies that you deal with on a regular basis. So we hope that you found that helpful. We're going to take a break for a minute and we're going to come back and we're going to finish up with Steve with a couple of last career related questions. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, we're back with Steve Long, Senior Engineer Freeze and Nichols. Steve gave us a really interesting overview of the Bodark Lake program that he's been working on. It's a very, very large restoration project, one of the largest in the country that's ever happened. And we're happy to have him on to talk about that. But now we're going to ask Steve some career-related questions here in our civil engineering hot seat segment because he's had a long career. And Steve, I'm going to start by asking you, is there any specific rituals, routines that you practice every day, whether it's a morning routine, a lunchtime routine, something that you do consistently on a daily basis that may have contributed to your success over your career? Every morning at breakfast time, I just ask the Lord for wisdom and guidance to make wise decisions, to understand what true questions are, make good decisions, and have good responses. Is there a book that had stood out to you over time in your career that you referred to regularly or that you was really beneficial in terms of your personal or professional development? 21 Indispensable Qualities of a Leader by John Maxwell. Civil engineering, you wind up, you actually lead other disciplines. You come in contact with a lot of other people. You really are required to lead people. Leadership is influence. As John Maxwell says, nothing more, nothing less. How do you influence the people around you in which you work? That book talks about the specific character qualities of leaders. So, Steve, throughout your career, thinking back on some of the managers that you've had, that you need to name names, but if you just think of some of your favorite managers or mentors, what made them your favorite? We're trying to understand here some of the best characteristics of great leaders. Those that were good leaders, they had the ability to digest information and make a decision and stick with that decision. If they needed to change course, they would say, we tried this. This is not working. We're going to change course. John Maxwell says, people work for praise. So those managers that praise good character, not just performance, those are the ones that I remember. 
We've got one final question, Steve. We call it the civil engineering career elevator advice question. If you got into an elevator with a civil engineer and you had about 30 to 40 seconds with that person to give them some career advice based on your experience, what would that advice be? Learn how to communicate, understand, and lead the people with whom you work. Learn to lead by influence rather than position. The old saying is true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And then technically, there are many other disciplines. We talked about archaeologists and the cultural resources. We talked about the environmental scientists. You will come in contact with them. How will you learn to manage their progress and understand what are their roadblocks? What are their challenges? It is all about communication in the world of civil engineering. We're constantly working on large teams, working on complex projects like the Bodark project that Steve has talked to us about here. So that's a great way to end this off. Stephen Long, Senior Engineer, Friesen Nichols. Steve, thank you so much for taking time to prep on this. There's a lot of work involved for you in getting the questions ready because it was a very complex project. I really appreciate the time. Thank you. It's been my pleasure, Anthony. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast. I know it was a little bit different than most. And firstly, thanks so much to Steve, really, for coming on and bringing so much information to the table in such an organized way. But really, I do believe that learning about all the different aspects of civil engineering projects is only beneficial for us as civil engineering professionals. So please remember that you can find the show notes for the episode. If you want to look through some of the details at civilengineeringpodcast.com, look for episode number 193. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. I also want to once again remind you about our Engineering Management Accelerator Core Skills Development Programs. We have People Leadership Courses. We have Project Management Courses, Scope, Schedule, Budget. We also have a Seller Doer Business Development Course, and your company can purchase seats that are valid for all of these courses, and you can go through different ones throughout the course of a year. You can check them all out at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Just click on the upcoming training button on the top of the website or give us a call, 800-920-4007. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.